I recently moved apartment and I really needed a new bookshelf. My first thought was to rush to the furniture store, but then another idea came to mind. I thought that if I bought a bookshelf that had already been owned by another person, one less bookshelf would need to be manufactured and fewer resources would need to be used, which translates into fewer greenhouse gas emissions and wasted raw materials. All of this convinced me to buy the secondhand bookshelf. What I did was an example of what's called circular economy. Circular economy is the opposite of the model widely used today, the linear economy, or the take-make-waste model, which is essentially about producing and selling as many products as possible. But with limited resources on planet Earth, an increasing number of economists are sounding the alarm on the linear economy. And so the logic of the circular economy is gaining traction. This model aims to keep products, components, and materials at their highest utility and value at all times. But just how difficult is it to change the linear economic model that's been with us for hundreds of years? And who should take lead in this transformation? In this episode, we'll look at some successful attempts to promote a circular economy in the Nordic countries, with a powerful Nordic business leader paving the way. And we'll also hear from a government advisor and company owner achieving great things in the small nation of Luxembourg. I'm Afton Halloran, and you're listening to the Nordic Talks podcast. Overconsume, right? So we are depleting our resources. And uh, I think while the world is currently consuming 1.8 planets, Europe is at a level of 2.8 planets. And as a Nordic citizen, unfortunately, I have to say that in the Nordics, we are not the best in class because we are at 3.5 planets. So this cannot possibly continue. And the thing is, so we, you know, we deplete our resources, but we also emit emissions uh, along the way of this uh, value chain, and then we create waste. This is Kristen Skogen-Lund. She's the CEO of Shipstead, Norway's largest media group and one of the leading companies in this field in the Nordic countries. The American business magazine Fortune recently called Kristen one of the 50 most powerful women in business. And for the last two years, the business magazine Kapital has named her as Norway's most powerful woman. Shortly, we'll hear about a remarkable study made by her company. But before we get to that, let's just say that Kirsten is not the only business leader questioning the linear economy and suggesting an alternative approach. Kirsten is joined by two other business leaders at this online Nordic Talks event, live streamed from Luxembourg and arranged by both the Swedish and the Nordic Chamber of Commerce in Belgium and Luxembourg. We invented linear economy more than 200 years ago, and, um, and linear economy is driving almost all the negative consequences we are facing um, nowadays. In, and all the, the 17 um, objectives of, um, of uh, the agenda uh, and you can take them one by one, water scarcity, biodiversity loss, uh, resource scarcity, uh, whatever, pollution. Um, all those are um, uh, yeah, very much linked to, those, to the system we are in. So we have to change the system. This voice belongs to Romain Poul. 
He's the head of the Pro Group, a Luxembourg-based group of companies which is active in the field of sustainable building engineering. And a little later, we'll hear his advice on how to change the system. But first, let's hear more from Kristen. What's at stake and what's to gain by introducing a circular economy? By turning this more into more circular economy, it's almost like you, you get three gains in one. You save resources, you save emissions, and you also save the waste. And of course, being able to, to circulate is also economically efficient if you manage to do it right. We can get back to that because there are some economic uh, intricacies, let's say, in the way we have structured our economies that do not necessarily favor enough circular consumption, but we can, we can get uh, back to that. Um, but basically, we can solve, uh, you know, we can, you can have three positive effects in one. Kristen's company, Shipstead, is trying to introduce a circular economy through its online marketplaces for secondhand stuff. It started with websites like Blocket in Sweden, Finn in Norway, and Tori in Finland. Altogether, Shipstead now runs 22 marketplaces with about 200 million users globally. You know, we run marketplaces. Uh, for those of you living in the Nordics, you'll know Finn and, and Blocket in, in Sweden. And we you know, where people can trade uh, secondhand from each other. And we did a study where we said that if you say that every time that a transaction like that happens, you actually save the, the production of a new item. That's not entirely a true way to do it, but I mean, it's an indirect effect. But that's how we measure it. And when you add up all those effects in all our different marketplaces in a year, we came to 23.5 million tons of CO2 and that's actually half of Norway's entire emission in a year that is indirectly saved through this circular effect, this secondhand effect, stemming from people using marketplaces. So it does matter and it does add up. So I think that's encouraging. Shifting to buying and selling secondhand products can be tricky. Insurance is one particular challenge. Just think about it. What if something is really wrong with the secondhand product that you just bought or rented? Who's responsible? Can it be insured? Ola Loden is the CEO of the Swedish insurance company Omokon. For us as a company, we really saw that this transition needed to happen not only for the enablers such as the shipstep platform that we were talking about, but we needed to change the framework and the infrastructure around them as well. And we really identified insurance as one of the big bottlenecks for growth in this sector. A couple of years ago, Ola discovered that major insurance companies had difficulty adapting their offerings to the demands of a sharing economy. Then Omicron was founded, and the company now works together with Shipstead. What we want to do with the insurance product that we are piloting together with the Shipstead platforms in, in Sweden is to create that kind of trust that is needed to be able to use that in the same manner as you would uh, and be able to gain the same benefits as you would if you buy the same object in a B2C context. So we try to be that enabler for the enabler in that sense in order to create growth. And that goes for most of these um, platforms that are aimed at getting usage rates up or two-sided markets in a, in a peer-to-peer context where you need to push both the supply side, meaning that people need to have confidence in selling their things on a Shipstead platform, 
or renting them out or just borrowing them to a, to a neighbor. Uh, but so with an insurance product, we can give people the confidence to be able to do that without having to take the, the additional risk uh, that is associated to that behavior. And also on the demand side, which would be the other hand, where we could go in and actually provide trust for people to actually use these uh, solutions. So Ola found a niche market, but in the beginning, it was difficult to find investors for his company. I think the investor community saw something in our product uh, and the need for it, uh, mostly because we had such a big pipe of company wanting the product already and they didn't have the any competitors in the market at that time. But the problem was the the investor community looking at insurance and how that works uh, and how we needed to set up and basically keep money on the books in order to be able to insure the objects that we were trying to get to. Uh, so in that mix, we kind of had to get the incumbent insurance companies in on it to take the risk on their balance sheets. Uh, and I think that combination between the old insurance industry and the new types uh, of VC and, and risk investors was uh, the real hard nut for us to, to kind of get those two worlds together uh, and try to get them to understand each other. Because in, normally in the insurance industry, you don't want to see that kind of hockey stick growth that VC investors are looking for. And you're not used to, to that, that kind of, of uh, growth models in a company and, and vice versa. Uh, so, so that was a real challenge for us. Ola's example is just a drop in the ocean. According to Kristen, the problem is actually the structure of our existing economy. I think we live still in sort of a Bretton Woods world, right? That was created in 1944 and is all based on physical production and, and to a certain extent, physical delivery of services. And, uh, and, and it's not really the world we live in anymore because more and more things are becoming digital and we struggle with, you know, handling the digital economy in these models. And we have also optimized the cost structure uh, to make physical production as cheap as possible. And it means, for example, that is very often cheaper to buy new than to repair something, uh, you know, just a thing like that. So you need to re-incentivize in the in the economic models in order to fix that and you can solve also you can solve some of it with uh, with taxation i mean there it's quite obvious to me that we should have a much larger carbon tax uh, while you for example might want to reduce taxation on employment for example which is a very important part of tax taxation today it doesn't make any sense that a company shall pay tax for employing people and should not pay tax for polluting the environment as, as one example. So I think there are things to be done. And I also think that we need to think of some of the requirements that can uh, that are there that are hindering a circular economy. For example, last year we looked seriously into uh, establishing a B2B site for the recycling of building materials. And we had to give up the idea because there are so many restrictions on using uh, building materials that is basically not really feasible to 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 set that up as a business um, and 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 that's not right I mean you need to make regulation so it favors recycling of building materials not the other way around you know as as one concrete example so many you know economic models taxations but also pure regulation 
that can help us boost uh, the attractiveness of, uh, of it. And maybe should you even um, incentivize somehow the production of things that are durable and that are recyclable? You know, we don't have any incentives for that either. You know, so lots of things to look into. At the Pro Group in Luxembourg, the case for circular economy has now become so strong for Romain that he decided to give his CEO title a special meaning. Normally, CEO stands for Chief Executive Officer, but in his case, it means Circular Economy Officer. The concept of circular economy started gaining traction in the late 1970s, and the movement was led by academics, thought leaders, NGOs, and some businesses. So we have actually been warned for decades about the effects of our unsustainable lifestyles and the linear economy. But it's not until now that the circular economy model has gotten a boost. According to Romain, we can mainly thank technology and digitalization for that. It's digitalization that makes it possible to gather enough data about our economy. Digitization is uh, is one of the enablers, I would say. Um, we, we have many enablers. Uh, well, we, we need many enablers to get the circular economy going, like reserve, reverse logistics, like insurance um, and, and financing, uh, new financing models or tools or instruments. But digital, uh, digital and data is one of the most important uh, enabler, enablers. Data... Uh, in 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 in, uh, in a large sense of uh, first we have to collect it through Internet of Things and wireless sensors and then uh, analyze it uh, through big data models and uh, artificial intelligence etc. But what is it for? It's uh, for for instance for preventive maintenance or uh, to enhance use or to set up platforms um, uh, for uh, yeah for service model or for uh, for swapping uh, swapping products between users, etc. Um, there's also a big need of um, uh, of um, of data uh, concerning the quality of uh, of uh, of products and materials that are in the products to in order to get them back to recycle them properly to upcycle uh, them. There is a need of material passports. Uh, Luxembourg developed an initiative. Um, which is a little bit, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's another way of seeing material passports. We we call it the PCDS, the Product Circularity Data Sheet. So, um, but it's still a, a, an initiative to to get uh, the right data into the product that everybody knows what um, what type of um, uh, uh, yeah what type of circularity is in the product and how to use the product properly and how to um, uh, recycle it or recycle, reuse the components or the, the materials at the end. So digital is key, uh, but digital has also to be uh, redesigned uh, with circular economy principles uh, in mind. Can I add something, Judith? Because there is one thing that has actually inspired me about COVID. I mean, COVID is a tragedy, but one thing that has inspired me was to see how 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 incredibly well it went uh, just going remote on you know March 12 last year, and how all businesses and all people managed that in a remarkably efficient way. And you know, to me, that tells us that we had some sort of 
digital overhang. You know, we all talk about how digitalization has been speeded up by three years from COVID, but it's like we had an overhang. We had the capability, but we didn't use it because, you know, you always have a third of the board or the team, you know, they don't, they prefer to meet physically or, you know, we just had our old habits. So we didn't really make use of the capabilities that were there until we were forced to do so. And now that we're forced to, we see that not only do we manage it really well, but it's, it's, convenient, is efficient, and there's a lot of good aspects to it. And we, for, as an example, I'm never going to fly to Stockholm for a one-hour business meeting ever again. I'm just going to do it by video. So, you know, we, we will change our ways. We're not going to go back to the way it was before or pre-COVID when this is over. And then that makes me think, if we had that overhang on digitalization, maybe we have that overhang on when it comes to sustainability as well. Maybe we are actually capable of doing this in much smarter and more sustainable ways. We're just not taking it in use or making use of it somehow. So I'm trying to think like that and see if we can also boost sustainability by three years without having to suffer through a pandemic to do it. Yeah, we need to start treating the the climate crisis as we treated the COVID crisis mainly looking at it as this, this, the the effects on society, the effects on loss of life, the effects of everything is, is going to be even bigger by the climate crisis if we don't do anything. So if we can have that kind of readiness to actually adapt when the COVID crisis hits us, we should be able to have the same kind of readiness to adapt and change behaviors uh, in face of the climate crisis. And I think that's an important message that we could take with us uh, in looking at changing consumer behaviors, changing the kind of, of operations with, with businesses and also with regulations and the regulatory framework. According to Roma, changes in regulations are needed to promote a more circular economy. And this requires political initiative. You know, in Luxembourg, in German, you call taxes steuern. And, uh, and taxes in, in Luxembourg, that means uh, also controlling or leading. And, and I think definitely that, um, that we should uh, switch taxes. Uh, and there, there are two, uh, two tax shifts that, are, that could really... Uh, make ma- major change, uh, changes. First, um, um, yeah, we, we, we should um, tax non-renewable re- resources, uh, but not human labor. That's, that's the first really important, or at least le- uh, tax more renew- renewable resources and tax less human uh, labor. And the second one is VAT. I mean, uh, why do we tax value um, preservation activities. I mean, it's it's called value added tax. Why, why do we uh, tax value preservation? And um, if we, if you stop taxing value preservation, like repairing and um, uh, re, uh, remanufacturing and reusing etc. activities, then we will uh, foster all the economic um, um, activities in in caring and repairing and. Uh, etc. etc. So for me, uh, taxes are key. But on the other hand, uh, you never can switch a model if you don't build up competences, if you don't um, trigger the the innovation and research, uh, if you uh, don't set up a a, a legal framework, if you uh, don't um, uh, push, uh, let's say, the the market to use your products. Um, And and of course, um, governments 
are big uh, players in, in the market and should be uh, pilot users of all those uh, circular uh, solutions. You know, I, I tend to not like to call on, on politicians to solve things. I think actually business can solve a lot ourselves and technology and consumer uh, ease tends to actually to, to eat politics for breakfast. So I think the real change, and I think that is about to happen, is that business goes from reducing impact and let's say complying into actually making the shift where you make sustainability your business, where it becomes your business to augment positive effects. And that has to do with developing te new technologies. It has to do with stimulating new consumer behavior. And you do that by making it easy and making it attractive. For example, new marketplaces that we mentioned earlier. So that's our commitment to dare to let the sustainable, sustainable impact of what we do be a leading star of our business priorities. Let that be what guides us to a larger degree than what it's been. And something must also change between us, the consumers and citizens. Back to Roma. In order to make uh, the system work, uh, on the end, one hand, we have um, to bring up business models that work Uh, or that are financially um, make sense or that are profitable, whatever name you give it. But on the other hand, you need, uh, you need uh, customers. You need uh, people that use your products, uh, that are uh, willing to give up ownership, that are willing to share. To, so we, it must be cool to share. It must be cool to um, uh, take secondhand um, or use secondhand materials or products. It, And it is not yet cool with all the generations. It's becoming cool for the, uh, the younger generations to share and to collaborate and to exchange and swap and etc. But it's not yet cool for all uh, the generations. So there's a big work, um, a communic communication work to do uh, to um, yeah to make it cool, to make it the new new norm. Uh, that we are not ownership. We have to question the, the, the whole idea of ownership, by the way. Um, and it's not easy, not that, uh, no, it's not that difficult to question it because uh, if you really ask people why they want to own it, they only come up with three, uh, uh, with three answers. It's always, um, I want to, uh, to, um, to, yeah, to use them as I want, when I want, Uh, and uh, sometimes they come up with the idea of uh, the residual value. But all three can be addressed with, uh, with other business models. Still, things could and should be a lot easier, if you ask Ola. We need the infrastructure around the, the transaction model to change. So I think uh, Roman said it would need to be cool to share and, and, and do those kinds of things. But I, I think even more than that, it needs to be convenient. Uh, and the convenience comes from a, a, a host of services that needs to be provided to the end and customer insurance is one of them. We need payment services. We need logistics, as we talked about. If, if we're going to share that car or whatever, it needs to be closer at hand that in your own car. You need to be, it needs to be readily available. And, and all of those different services needs to be enabled in order for that to work. So that's the whole infrastructure around the, the transaction, really. Luckily, as Romain, Kirsten and Ola say, the circular economy is catching on. 
more and more secondhand marketplaces are popping up too, making it easier for people like me to buy a used bookshelf. And just think what would happen with improved regulations and infrastructure. One single bookshelf might not seem like that much. But just imagine if we could get millions of people onto these marketplaces. The results could be remarkable. Look us up on Instagram at nordic.talks to get the latest updates on this podcast and live events. I'm Afton Halloran. Thanks for listening. <laughs>